Amen. Let's go. All right. Well, I, like I said, I asked Steve to help cover yesterday um, or last night. I asked him to come and sing. And he said, man, I'm going to kill that song. Just ask. Just let me sing that song. And did he kill it? Man, he did a good job. Uh, but like I said, it's going to be such an amazing service because it's graduation Sunday. It was so awesome to see all the graduates up here on stage. Let's give them all another round of applause. Man, it is it is just such a huge encouragement. Uh, and something I've been praying for even today is just how amazing that we're raising uh, young men and women up to give glory to God in everything that they do, right? Aren't they an epitome of Colossians 3.23? Um, well, I just wanted to... Uh, uh, just say how excited I am to uh, kind of move with this uh, series that we've been doing titled True Religion. Hasn't been, uh, hasn't it been such an amazing series so far? Yeah. Right. James doesn't hold any punches. Uh, and, and I'm sure, uh, right, that we can kind of get that. But but it is graduation Sunday. It is such a huge celebration for our church uh, this past Friday in our, in our teen devotional, we actually had our Hello Goodbye, uh, Hello Goodbye event. Uh, that was our little graphic there. Uh, and it was just so awesome to have, uh, teens and their parents, uh, also the incoming freshmen or, or last year there was, they, they weren't even celebrated. So we actually celebrated the, the freshmen that are actually going to be sophomores this upcoming school year. Uh, welcome, formally welcome them in the teen ministry, uh, but also said goodbye to Drew and Carly. And this is a picture of actually all of us. Uh, well, there's a handful of teens that were uh, unfortunately not there, but is this a good looking group? Yeah. This is a great looking group. Uh, up here in the top four or the bottom four is actually uh, Alicia and I and our two new team leaders. Come on, let's give it up for team leaders. Yeah, we got Ali Boyer. And Mr. Ted Jones, uh, so super excited uh, to just see what God has in store for the teen ministry. Amen. Uh, well, let's all uh, turn our Bibles to uh, James 4, verse 13 to 17. We're just going to get started. Uh, but like I said, right, uh, just put your finger there. We're going to uh, uh, read it in a little bit. It's up in the screens. But graduations are obviously a special time. Because four years, right, of, of learning, of grueling learning has finally ended. And I'm sure all the students are just super ecstatic for this summer. And if you're a parent of a graduate, right, I'm sure all of you guys are also celebrating with your grad. But deep down inside, you're probably super ecstatic that you no longer have to pay for college education, right? <laughs> but maybe some of you, I'm sure there's some people here that is obviously worrying, about paying for college, right? Uh, and some of you probably have your bank agent uh, on speed dial, you know, figuring out how in Uncle Sam do we afford college these days, right? I remember my dad one time, I'll tell you guys a funny story, he took me to a, a, a very fancy sushi restaurant. My dad likes to go big when I graduated high school. And the whole time my mom had this dirty look, like, how are we going to afford this? This could pay for a textbook, this dinner. And I'm like, man, right? But regardless, graduations, uh, but honestly, just anything in the summer, the season of summer is indeed a time of transition. Do you agree? You know, in my Christian walk, 
time and time again, I have seen and learned how God loves to work in times of transitions, uh, the seasons of uncertainties, the moments where things aren't necessarily crystal clear, times where we tend to think about what the future is going to look like or what tomorrow will look like. You know, I, I love how we have been in the book of James and we have seen so many practicals that James, the brother of Jesus, has taught us week after week, right? You know, something that I've been getting from each Sunday uh, is how grateful I am that we have books in the Bible like James to help us paint just a clear picture of how to have faith that works, right? Don't, don't you want a faith that works? Don't you want to have a, a, a conviction that is practical uh, and, and easy to understand? And I think, man, James just lays it all out. You know, how often times have we stumbled in our walks with God, forgetting what discipleship looks like, and then one scripture just clears everything up? Have you guys ever read something like that in the Bible, right? Something that kind of anchors you when you're feeling lost. You know, James is not only clear, but he challenges us and James doesn't pull back. And so we're going to pick up here in James 4, and really this is just the second portion of uh, James chapter 4. We're going to cover the first uh, part of this chapter. Uh, but I want you guys to kind of tune in how this section, right, sheds light with how we think about our lives, and especially when we think about su- a subject like the future. You know, as disciples, we are called to be devoted to God. But how devoted are you to his will? And spiritually and practically, how does that even look like? So let's read here in James 4, verse 13 to 17. And it says here, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and maybe make some money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist. That appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they are out, they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Damn. Right? James, I'm telling you, man. Uh, but, you know, James here is he- hitting on something absolutely important. And this passage brings uh, us to the title of our time today, which is, what is your life? This is a question that James just said. What is your life? Everyone say that. What is your life? I don't know. You should ask yourself, right? You know, I don't know if there's any extreme planners in the house. Raise your hand if you're an extreme planner. Notice how I didn't raise my hand. I'm not an extreme planner. You know, my wife is actually the extreme planner. I should probably use should not even use the word extreme. That probably might get me tonight. But uh, she's a planner. She's a great planner. She's an amazing planner. I'll say that. You know, I'm not at all an extreme, but rather I'm the opposite. And so my wife really lifts kind of the weight uh, in the in the planning department. So she makes up for the both of us. You know, and uh, but but we all make plans in our lives. Right. We, we, we tend to make plans on things that are really important to us. Right. Like graduating high school. Obviously, this is graduation Sunday. You know, 
Planning uh, is key in this season because college is very important. Where, where you're going to spend the next four years is very important, especially if your parents are paying for college. It's also very important that you plan, right? Engagements. You know, Macau could probably relate with me, uh, but it says wedding, you know, wedding planning is huge because it is uh, just the first few steps of just a huge part of your lives, right? Who remembers their engagement, planning their engagement, right? There was probably a lot of fights, bickering, and maybe some hairs that were lost. I don't know. You know, pregnancies, right? Not only are you carrying a human for nine months, but you're literally envisioning and planning what this baby's life is going to be. Planning, right? We all make plans in some form or fashion, but I believe where the problem lies is when the plans we put into motion doesn't come to fruition. You know, I have a funny story. You know, Saturday morning, actually, this, this past yesterday, yesterday morning, today's Sunday, uh, Scott Sweetie and Scott Acevedo invited me to play golf with them. Uh, and Scott also brought and invited out his neighbors. So it, it was just a great time to be together. Um, but gave you kind of a little context in my little golf history. I grew up in Hawaii, and my dad was addicted, obsessed with the game of golf. I told him one day, like, hey, Dad, I want to uh, maybe try golf. And so he literally took me to, like, the closest, like, Roger Dunn uh, and bought me my first pair of, or my first set of golf clubs. You know, so I grew up, uh, kind of got a little good, um, went to a lot of different club teams, um, but decided to quit of anger because my older brother, who has never even touched a golf club, could hit like 30 yards more than I could. And I was playing for like six or seven months at the time. So I was like, I quit. You know, I rage quit. That's what the kids call them nowadays, rage quit. Um, you know, uh, but I but uh, but I kind of still had all the fundamentals down. So uh, during my college days, I started to recreationally kind of go back, go to the driving range and. Um, go hit some 18 holes, right? Um, but anyways, you know, although I haven't played in a few years, when they invited me out to play, I knew I had to really pr- uh, prove them that I got skills, right? Uh, and so my goal was to come off like incredibly humble, kind of just a little secret, right? They, they think, okay, this guy's trying to roll with the big boys, and man, when I go to the tee box and just hit just a dinger, right, it's going to be amazing, and so, uh, so I remember I was just prepping for the day. I pulled out my shades. You know, my golf clubs are more handsome or are more handsome than me. Uh, went to Roger Dunn and got my driver cleaned and fixed. I was like, man, when I pull this bad boy out, it's going to be beautiful, right? I had the right shorts on. Man, I looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, man, my outfit is popping. I had everything on straight. Look good, play good. That's what they say, right? Look good, play good. You know, but once I put my club down, put it behind the ball, took my first swing, it was obvious I hadn't played in a while. <laughs> right? And whenever I, use my shi- whenever I use my shiny new driver, which is supposed to blast the ball about a couple hundred yards, probably was my worst club that I used. And uh, it, it took about one and a half of 18 holes where I did okay. Right? So I don't know if all you math majors, one out of 18, that's, that's definitely an F. You know, Scott Acevedo would actually remind me that God humbles you through golf. And he kept telling me that because I was riding with him in the golf cart. And so I just knew, man, I must have been incredibly prideful. So this is the picture I took. Uh, obviously, it wasn't me playing golf. It was just the golf cart because I didn't want to embarrass myself. But I wanted to let people know that I was out there trying, right? I was out there trying. 
You know, this illustration into my misery as a golfer shows us that we can have it all together, right? That, that, that we can have the equipment. We can have the outfits. We can have the experience. We can have the big plans. We can have the big dreams. But as Christians, James reminds us that we are uh, humans that are capable of not focusing on the right thing from, not to, from time to time. You know, we can wake up in the morning, think to ourselves that, that we have a plan in life, that, that, that we, can pull, we can trust in these plans that we make for ourselves, and we can go about our day, but how are you in putting your trust fully on Jesus? Are we Christians that believe when, when, when it says that, man, we have these dreams that we can bring to God, but it's really Jesus that establishes our steps, Right? Because the disappointing cycle we get ourselves into is that we understand that everyone has a plan until all of a sudden a wall pops up, right? We can have all these things established in our lives, but what drives your stability? What drives your purpose? It's funny, I have a golf cart. What drives your purpose, right? As a church of believers, as a church who call ourselves disciple. We, we, we call each other to surrender our lives to Christ when we say Jesus is Lord. This conviction of surrendering our lives uh, is something, is a concept that even in my own spiritual walk is something that I've been wrestling with. You know, my natural sin is pride. And this bleeds into uh, so many areas in my walk with God. This, this bleeds into my relationships, my marriage. You know, when we come to know Jesus, when we sit at the foot of the cross, our soul becomes secure. But do we believe this also means that our schedule is at risk, that our plans are not in the picture you know, James is talking to persecuted believers who have devoted their lives to Christ. And so as James writes uh, here in James 4, he is assuming that you are also believers, that the readers are believers. That he's challenging them with the necessity that when we live our lives, we need to put our trust in Jesus and not put trust in our own lives. You know, whenever we are in a time of transition, I certainly believe that in these moments is where God truly is trying to communicate with each and every one of you. And he's trying to refine you in this season. But what makes a good story, right, just in general, movies, books, what makes a good story is not what happens in the beginning, is not what happens in the end, but how point A gets to point B, right? Because we like the drama when we're watching movies or something, right? We're reading a book, we, we like the drama. Uh, the young people also say messy, the word messy. And we like reading how the main character can get a little messy at times. Uh, or how they're able to overcome uh, by the end of it. But in my life, when trouble comes my way, my immediate reaction is to run the other direction. How about you? But in these moments, where, where there's trouble, where there's heartache, where there's pain and other setbacks that can occur, these are the moments where oftentimes I grip on my life, and I grip 
on my reliance on myself, and I feel just that grip become tighter and tighter. But James is asking us today, are we taking a right account on the value of our lives? And what is our conviction when it comes to putting trust in Jesus? And I only have two points today, and I'm actually going to have Drew Hernandez and Ted Jones help illustrate my second point. But James is begging us the question, what is your life? Right. What is your life? So we're going to try to answer that today. Amen. 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 What is your life? My first point is my life is a mission. Everybody say that my life is a mission. mission. Amen. You know, Scott preached a few weeks uh, ago that that good faith equals good works. And we learned that from the book of James and James here in chapter four starts to usher some practical spiritual applications uh, so it's just going to be an amazing uh, next few weeks as we finish it off. But many times as believers, and just listen to me when I say this, I think we oftentimes mix opportunity with our mission. And so, so what do I mean by that? Right, Because Jesus transformed lives. And he rescued those who needed the opportunity. So, so granted, the opportunity is, is not a thing that Jesus brushed away from. But you cannot miss the opportunity to carry out the mission. And Jesus was also very clear on that. We have a mission here on this world. In the scripture in Matthew 4, 18, verse 22, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is also called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, is casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat where Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boats and their, and their father, and then they followed him. You know, it's funny reading the scripture, uh, because I think about how I show this passage to people. Uh, this is a very integral part in, in the collection of, uh, of Bible studies that, that we teach someone, right? This is, I believe, in the discipleship study. And so, you know, when I, when I show this uh, scripture to people, I tend to want to camp on how Simon and Andrew saw the opportunity of walking with Jesus as this, this, this grand opportunity. That they left their father and dropped their nets, essentially dropping their their jobs. And I remember asking them, or asking the person I'm studying the Bible with, are you willing to make these sacrifices? But the main point, right, is to make you a fisher of people. There's a mission between these sentences. And reading James 4, it feels like James is really trying to drive that this scripture is way more important. That the scripture has a lot more weight when we read this. You know, I do believe that Simon and Andrew were willing, right? I I do believe uh, that they were so ready, but I know that they were probably a lot more deliberation. There was probably a lot more anxiety, maybe second thoughts in their head, right? Hesitancy. You know, the fear of choosing to put this stranger's vision because they'd never even seen Jesus at this point. And thinking, man, what is this going to do about my own life? And even what, what does it mean for my family? But there was something about Jesus. 
that, that it gave them a new trajectory in their life, that it made it so enticing to them because it wouldn't have said immediately. So, that, so there was something about Jesus that they, they held on to, that they pushed all the hesitancy to the side. And I think that was so beautiful. But it doesn't mean that they were enthusiastic. So we should too, right? But I believe it goes to show the courage and the willingness it took for them to choose the hard life. What Jesus said as the narrow path, the narrow door. You know, James is saying that when this life gets too hard, don't you back down, right? And I'm sure James got this from his brother Jesus, right? To quit focusing on tomorrow, but focus on what is needed for today. And brothers and sisters, we have a mission to accomplish in this world. And it's to change it. You know, you see the problem at hand. And I believe it's probably clearer than uh, the stars that night in Joshua Tree. But there's a problem at hand. There's a sense of real paganism. There's a sense of real secularism or any type of isms, right, that you see. Uh, you see it on the news. You see it in the world around. But what type of Christian is it, or Christianity is it? You know, what kind of Christianity are, are we uh, showing to people when the believers are driven out by difficulty? Do we sit on our couch and watch the news, wonder when everything will just get better? You know, some of us, including me, got so discouraged that we don't even watch the news because we're so discouraged, right? When will it ever get better? Isn't what we should be saying or asking ourselves and even telling the others, but rather we should say, I am here so I can make it better. And the time is now, right? When you bear the identity of a disciple, you aren't called to retreat, but you are called to infiltrate. You know, when James even says this, if it is, uh, if, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So James is saying you need to choose Jesus, and even choosing Jesus is a very, very hard decision. It's not going to be easy. So what is my mission? Right? What, what is my mission? You're probably asking, okay, Roy, what is my mission? And it says in Matthew 5.14, and this is just one of a, a, a myriad of many, many different types of, uh, of ways that Jesus even says, what is our mission here on this earth? But I love this one. In Matthew 5.14, it says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what is my mission? My mission is to be a light to this world. What is my mission? My mission is to shine it in the places that are dark. For people that can't see, my mission is to guide them to Christ. And so our second point is my life has an eternal perspective. Everyone say that. It's kind of a tongue twister. So my, my life has an eternal perspective. Everyone say that. Amen. And so for this next point, like I said, I'm actually going to invite up Drew and Teddy uh, to help illustrate and, uh, and kind of run with this point. Amen. So let's give them a round of applause and invite them over. 
Can we turn the mic on? Hey guys. All right. Um, well, hello, church. My name is Drew Hernandez. Um, and yeah, if you don't know me, that's on me because I've been here for 18 years, so I'm sorry we never, <laughs> we never uh, you know, had a conversation. Um, but yeah, so this year I had the opportunity to graduate with the class of 2021 from Rancho Mirage High School. Um, woo woo. Yeah. Um, and I'll be moving to Glendora um, to play water polo at Citrus College, which is a part of the Lighthouse Ministry. Um, and yeah, just naturally, you know, Moving away, whether it be big events, a lot of emotions come, and they're very exposed, right? And, and sometimes it takes you a little bit longer to figure them out. But after kind of sitting on mine, I, I realized I felt a lot of things towards this move, towards leaving the desert. Um, you know, I felt sad. You know, I felt sad that I was leaving the desert. I'm leaving the people that I've cultivated relationships with over these 18 years. And, um, you know, people that I've, I've learned to call my family, learned to call my brother, like Connor, and like my second dad, Scott Sweeney, and my second mom, Danielle, um, just people I've really been able to connect with. Um, I'm happy to leave the desert. No offense, but I'm happy to get out of this desert heat. You know, I'm happy to to not have to, I don't know, not wear socks when I sleep. Um, um, I'm excited to make new friends, to really spread my wings and get out of the desert and really just find who I, I am away from everybody, you know. Um, but also a lot of anxiety in that. I feel anxious about what God has for me in store. And, you know, with those emotions and with those different experiences that I'm going to experience, right, um, they can kind of cause you to be very self-surrounded and self-absorbed. Um, and it becomes, I want this, you know, I want this now, um, and I, I want to feel this right now. And sometimes, for, especially for me, I have to be shaken up. Like something has to hit me hard like a truck, and I'm just like, whoa. Let me step back for a second and let me go back to God because right now I wasn't living with him, right? This is the reason I was feeling this way and I wasn't connected to God, so I'm, I was blinded. Um, so I have to kind of think, what got me here in the first place, right? Why am I not connected with God? Why am I feeling these emotions? Why do I not trust God and why am I leaning on my own understanding? Um, so yeah, so that's one thing I love about the Bible because it doesn't promise riches. It doesn't promise an amazing family, although I have one, I've been blessed with them. It doesn't promise fame. It promises peace, right? It promises peace, and that's what we live for. And when we're living for God, and we have our eternal perspective, we're able to live with peace, and we don't have to worry about the anxiety. Although we feel the sadness and happiness and the excitedness, we feel all of that, we can know that God's by our side 100% of the way. And there's a scripture um, in Matthew 26, in 27, this is the New King James Version, so it's a little bit different. It says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, more, are you not of more value than, them, or than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his, to his stature? So true. Like, what can be said more? If you worry, nothing happens. Nothing, you gain nothing, right? Like, how much did you gain, guys? Zero, right? It's like when you ask for extra guac at Chipotle. I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. 
Um, and then later on in uh, verse 33, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Yeah, I think that, that scripture alone, that chapter alone, God can't stress enough how important it is to rely on him and rather than yourself. So thank you guys for letting me share. All right, well, that was awesome, Drew. Thanks for sharing that. All right, well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Teddy Jones, and similarly to Drew, I'm also in a transitional season of my life. I graduated from college two weeks ago, and I'm currently working on a license in order to secure a career. But when I first realized that I was in a transitional period, I was honestly a little nervous, like I am right now. (laughs) Um, The day following graduation, I remember just waking up and kind of looking to my left, looking to my right, and just thinking, okay, what do I do now? You know, and um, I had kind of lost that university attachment or that institutional attachment or the attachment to my classmates. And I I felt as if I were floating, not really connected to anything. And the reason behind my confusion was because my label as a college student was now gone. And I'm a guy that really appreciates and needs labels. With the career path that I'm pursuing in speech therapy, there are many labels and identifiers that help me and let me know what kind of client I'll be working with or what kind of disorder they may have. So I've come to appreciate labels. And I'm not saying that me liking labels is a bad thing. However, the significance that I was giving unimportant labels was a bad thing. And I wasn't placing enough weight on the one label that truly matters And that label is that I'm a child of God, a servant to the gospel, a disciple. And although there's a bit of uncertainty in my life in regard to careers and being in this middle ground phase, the one thing that I can always hang on to as my labels change and transition is that I'm a child of God. Trusting that God has a perfect plan for my life and has planned my steps for me really gives me confidence and peace that I've never felt before and that I wouldn't be feeling right now at this point in my life if I didn't have God. And I can guarantee that I would be a mess right now without God. Um, But this peace and confidence ultimately strengthens my faith and my salvation. In the moments when I'm having trouble, and and there's a lot of those, um, and forgetting that I'm a child of God, I choose to fight to focus on my eternal perspective rather than my current situational perspective. And there's more hope in that than anything else, really. So as I continue to transition, I hold Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, very near and dear to my heart. And it reads, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And this verse just humbles me and reminds me whose I am and what I'm really here for, what my job really is, and what my mission is, as Roy was talking about earlier. Being a servant and to guide people to Christ. So as this lesson that Roy is preaching is titled, What is Your Life? I'd like to challenge everyone to be very honest with yourself and answer that question at some point today or throughout the week.
what is your life and what's the most important label in your life that you're holding on to. But uh, thank you for having us up here. Amen. Let's give him another round of applause. You know, I had no idea what they were, well, I kind of had a faint idea of what they were going to talk about. But really, when they were all up here, when they were both up here, they're really preaching from their heart. They're getting honest and vulnerable. You know, I love what Drew shared. Um, what this idea of this eternal perspective is all about choosing right here, right now, that regardless of all the worries in life, that God's going to take care of that. But it's my duty as a disciple to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Amen. And Teddy even shared about what my confidence, my, my identity really needs to be rooted in being a child of God. So talk about an eternal perspective. I think it's all different from each and every one of us what this eternal perspective may be. But it just truly matters that in order to really figure that out, it, it, it comes from a close walk with God. And so, you know, James says, right, or actually, uh, you know, these two men, right, um, and the reason why I actually have Teddy, I forgot to say this, Teddy and Drew up here, uh, because they are in different life stages. Uh, but both of them have the same desire for an eternal perspective. Right? And so what I, what I got out of these guys is hard is that I too can have trust in my own blank. And like I said, it's different for everyone, but we can all have trust in, in different things. Right? And in this passage, right in James 4, what we read, uh, it says that you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanish. And so I actually have a little illustration for you guys. And so this is a spray bottle that says your life. Right? Any, all, the things that contain in here are your life's desires, your life's dreams, your life goals. What you identify, uh, who you love, everything that encapsulates in life is, is inside this bottle. It's actually a Lysol spray. I was supposed to have a water sprayer, but I forgot it at home. So this is actually, I got it back there. That's besides the point. Right? It's disinfectant spray, so I'm just going to spray it, right, to just illustrate a point. But think about it this way, right? Whenever in life we ask ourselves, man, I need security. I need stability. Right? Let me go chase after what I want, right? Like Drew talked about. And so let's do it. Where to go? I need worth. I need to feel important in life. I need to achieve more. That smells fantastic, by the way. I need, I need worth. Let me try to be someone who is worthy. Let me try to be someone that other people around me will love. Let me just give love. Where to go? I desire wealth. Let me go get that bread. Probably work a few more hours. Right? Got, get that promotion. I desire love for this person, for that person, give it away to that person, that person. But what's left? Nothing. Because why your life is a mist? How quickly are these things that we put our heart in, that we put our trust in, just gone? Right? I think we get so focused on tomorrow, but what are we doing today? When we are in a time of transition, when things get difficult, we have to put our trust in an eternal perspective. Why? Because the God that we worship is an eternal God. 
Our hope is in heaven. And Jesus sought people out and made sure they knew that what? Right? That the kingdom is near. It's here. Repent and be baptized. It's, it's here. Why do we need to focus on today? Because what I do today dictates my forever. What is your life? And so let's put this plane into a landing, right? And so in conclusion, you know how crazy it is that the summer is indicative to a lot of transitions. It is a season of transitions. But like being lost in translation, we get lost in transitions. We are people who make plans. And James is saying it's okay to have plans. It's okay to have dreams. It's okay to have desires. But include Jesus in your plans. Decide today. If I ain't got a plan for my life, if I don't have anything formulated or created, you know what? I'll always choose to run to the person who makes my plans for me. We can be in a storm. We can be in a time of transition. But we can also still be in the will of God. And I'm going to live on God's will. And then, uh, rather than my will, even though following God's will is, is even harder. You know, in James 4.16, it says, As it is, you boasting your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And I think this is so important how he ends by talking about our arrogant schemes and the sin of omission, right? In our lives, we prioritize our own plans. And when we put our plans before uh, everything else, aren't, aren't we being arrogant? How many of us know that humanity's arrogance is what put Jesus on the cross in the first place? And the sin of omission, right? The things you knew you were supposed to do but didn't do it. This week, ask yourself, did I choose the road of simplicity? Did I choose to walk down the road of comfort in my own Christianity? Am I going to continue to do that? Are we playing it safe? Do we settle on dreams and plans without God? You know, Jesus chose to not omit what needed to be done when dying on the cross for you and I. And I love Jesus and how he called us to not always play defense, but always play, that we can play some offense as Christians, right? And James highlights that. And in Matthew 16, 17, even Jesus says this. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not overcome it. And gates are a defense mechanism. And that's what Satan is all about, right? Defense mechanisms. But notice how Jesus says, I will build the church. And Jesus claimed that the gates of hell were made to draw him and his power out. But he said, that's not powerful enough for me. But Jesus says, man, rather, we serve a God who plays a little offense. Amen. You know, he built you and I so that we can combat the gates of hell. We are his church. Are we, brothers and sisters? Right. Come on. What is your life? Your life is a mission, and your life has an eternal, eternal perspective. Guys, live the life God gave you today. And I leave you with this thought, and this is a really cool saying. Tomorrow is a mystery. Yesterday was history. Death is a certainty. But today is an opportunity. Amen. So let's be a church that we need to be. Let's love and serve God with everything and love and encourage people to follow suit. Amen. Amen. Let's pray for communion.
Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much, Dad, just for the day that you've given us. And God, I, 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 say, I start this prayer off in the same way all the time, but God, today is such a gift. God, you put us here on earth, God, so that we can teach people what the light is all about. God, that in our lives, when things bring us down and, and, and Satan, God, just, just tries to uh, impede in different parts of our lives, God, makes us desire things that we shouldn't be desiring, uh, makes us people who we're not uh, destined to be, that, that you put your son on the cross to remind us, God, that even in our most crazy circumstances, that there's a person that loves us and is willing to die for us. Lord, I pray that we can be a light in this world. There are so many hurt people just here in the desert, lost, that need us. So I pray, God, that in the summer of transition, Dad, that you can absolutely lead us uh, and help us be the disciples and the Christians that you call us to be. That, that we are people who, who don't retaliate, God, but we infiltrate. God, that we can absolutely engage this world, change it, and just be people, men and women, that love you wholeheartedly and love other people. Thank you guys so much for Jesus dying on the cross. I pray for everything in your mighty son's name. Amen.